Hello, sweet parents. Welcome to the When Our Adult Children Walk Away podcast. My name is Dr. Janet Steinkamp, and during each episode of When Our Adult Children Walk Away, I will provide my professional and personal insights, information, and opportunities for your self-reflection and growth, tips and tricks to make every day count, and encouragement to keep moving forward. I'm here to help you dig deep and get down to the root causes so that you can find your way out of the darkness to a positive and lasting relationship. Grab your notebook and a pen, settle into your favorite chair, and let's get to it. In this episode, we are going to talk about the yin and yang of your relationship. We are going to look at five or six ways to assess and gauge behavior that's going on between you and your adult child that may be worth taking note. Um, These things can be indicators, failing relationship or an unraveling relationship. In the last episode, we talked about the continuum of estrangement. In this episode, we're going to dig deeper into the first two levels on that continuum. To remind you, the first uh, was cordial contact where you think everything's good, but not quite sure. And when you check in with your adult child, they say, no, no, everything's fine. Um, And then the second level is low contact. So it's everything you feel and see in the first cordial contact level, except now things are changing enough that you can't ignore it. They really are not responding to you as often. They may be at family events, but they choose not to sit by you. Uh, They don't respond to calls. They are not contacting you and inviting you to do things or updating you on things in their life. So we're really going to dig into those two levels, and we're going to talk about things you can do as an adult parent to change this, to bring them back, to stop or slow down the progression of disengagement and um, heal and begin to repair some of the disconnects. First, I just want to reassure you that often when a person chooses to distance themselves from one person or another, uh, it's not due to that person. It can be because of things going on in society. I mean, look at our economy, the politics, the complexity of life today is different than anything we've experienced in the past. And so those things also impact relationships and how people feel about being in a relationship. Given that caveat, I want to have us look at our own behaviors and how we can and probably do contribute to the current state of affairs in our relationship. So I want to I want to add here that we, believe it or not, as parents, hold a lot of power in how we communicate. We can influence the quality and the frequency of communication really pretty easily. It takes effort and a lot of self-humility and constraint, but it can be done. And I would suggest you can do it. So let's look a little bit closer at some of the things that you can do and that might be helpful to you. The first thing I want to look at is the frequency and tone of communication between you and your adult child. Are you calling and texting multiple times a day? Does a day go by without you communicating with them in one way or another? Are they having space to wonder how you are? Are you managing social media in a way that communicates respect to your son or daughter? Uh, I'll give you a quick example. When I was young, we had landlines, only landlines. 
And on Sundays, we would talk to both my dad's family and my mom's family. And we would be on the clock because we paid by the minute, right? So communication was very controlled. Now we can communicate at any time as long as we have our cell phone with us. And that doesn't mean that we should or that it's healthy or that it's invited. We need to monitor our use of social media and technology every time we click a like on Facebook or Instagram, every time we click a like on TikTok, send a text, forward a meme. Those are all touches throughout the day that you're making with your adult child. And where you may feel like it is positive and constructive and healthy and a way to say I love you, that may not be how it's received. It may be feeling smothering, too much, too personal, intrusive, and those are not the kinds of feelings that you want your communication to convey, right? There are two ways to go at this with your adult child. You can just ask, you know, I I realize I'm contacting you and sending you notes often, and I realize I've probably gotten a little out of hand. Can you give me an idea of what time of day and how often it's okay to contact you? And then have the conversation. They may say, oh, I love getting communications from you. No, please keep sending things. I just can't respond. And then you might get very important information. I try to respond once a day. So you know that's the threshold, right? You still might want to back off on your communication because over-communication is not healthy. However, that conversation can be very helpful. No guilt. You can't project any kind of expectation. You're simply gathering information. And yes, I do know that that's very difficult. Communication is just too easy these days, and it is tough to monitor ourselves. But I do know you can do it. And so start keeping track of your contacts, and then time of day, tone, and then back them up to maybe once a week, once every three days. But pay good attention to that. That can go a long way in improving communication. So let's look at how you feel about fairness, especially if you are a middle child. Fairness can be a thing for you. So when I say fairness, what I'm talking about is the scorekeeping that goes on. You see this a lot in families where there's been a divorce. If you were at your mom's house for 10 hours last week, I think you should be at my house for 10 hours this week. You know, kind of that quid pro quo. It can also happen with adult children in any family. And because adult children start having their own lives, their own significant other children, children's events, friends, business activities. So you can't get your feelings hurt if you are extending invitations that they decline. If you're inviting them to do things more than once every couple of weeks or three weeks, please consider that the frequency is causing you trouble. In the life of a young adult right now, time passes so quickly. If there are children, jobs, travel, all of these competing priorities, if you're calling more than once every couple of weeks or three weeks to extend an invitation, it may very well be feeling like too much, an obligation, pressure, Again, negative things that you do not want to communicate. One of the things I have found to be most effective in this 
is to create an event that's regularly scheduled and that there's a set of expectations or lack of expectations around this event. So for example, I have a friend who has family dinner every Sunday afternoon, and there are about 21 people on the invite list. They know they are invited every Sunday. She's been doing this for, I would think, three or four years now. And her only rules are, join us if you can. We'd love to see you. And if you come, bring a dessert. She's wise to add the dessert because it invests people in the event. It allows people to feel like they are a part of the event and that they are contributing. And it is important to people to feel like they are contributing. So she may not know who or how many people are going to show up on Sunday, understand the numbers are anywhere from maybe four to 12, rarely the whole group. And oftentimes people will contact her and let her know if they're not going to be there. But she has to be able to let go of the expectation that people will tell her if they are coming or not. So she cooks things that are flexible, like stew or sloppy joes, things that she can eat into the week or freeze. So she gets rid of those expectations. That openness and that kind of gracious invitation brings relief to people. It conveys comfort and love and, and it works. So maybe for you, it won't be a family dinner on um, Sunday. Maybe it is pizza night on Friday night or Wednesday night cards or some kind of event. So you are not constantly feeling like you want to get them there, that pressure to invite, invite, invite. And they are not feeling the pressure to decline or accept, decline or accept. That's a weight you can take out of your relationship. So I hope you try something like that, and I'd love to hear if it's going well. Which reminds me, I want to tell you that we have the Ask Janet feature set up on our website. And you can voice record for five minutes. I'll get your message in my email, and I will respond to you directly by email. I'm very excited about that. I want to hear your stories. So let's go down our list some more. Here's another question for you. Are you able to actively listen? Well, let's talk about what active listening is. Active listening is when you don't talk, you listen and you hear what they are saying. You listen for the context, the emotion, the meaning behind the words, and you're not already thinking about how you want to reply. In fact, oftentimes if you're actively listening, when a person stops talking, you have to pause to think about how you want to respond. There's a pause in there because you're not already wanting to speak. Active listening can be exhausting. So if you are in a conversation with someone and you're really paying attention to them, hearing what they say, perhaps reflecting back once in a while and asking for clarification, you will be tired at the end of that conversation. And it's very rewarding, both to the person who's being heard and to the person who's listening. It is a compliment when someone shares information about their life about their feelings, about a situation, that's a compliment to you, that they trust that you're going to hear them. So the question again is, can you actively listen? And what do you do with the information that you receive? Are you the town crier of the family? We have a town crier. And I learned very early in uh, my adulthood that if I shared information with that particular family member, 
it saved me a lot of time. I could trust that by the end of the day, everyone else in the family would have that information and typically pretty accurate information. So, you know, you can use it for good, but I suggest that you not be the town crier. Be the steel trap. Be the person someone can confide in and it goes no further. Be the person who your son or daughter want to go to to get active listening, to be heard, and to feel reassured and to know it's not going anywhere else. Big change on your on your side if you're the town crier and almost immediate impact on the relationship and for the positive. Let's look at another example. Let's say your son or daughter come home for dinner on Sunday, family dinner on Sunday, and they are sharing with you that they have been accepted to three different colleges for graduate school. And they're trying to decide which graduate program to get into. Immediately after dinner, you start looking online, digging up information about these programs, getting the kind of the scoop, and then acting as a resource to share that information with your adult child. Now, unless they ask you to do that, that is crossing a line into being intrusive. I love to research. I read everything I can get my hands on when a new topic is of interest to me. And as my children will say to me, mom, you don't have to read about this. Just live it like other people. And I I love when they're honest with me about that. And it's a good reminder. It's also an indicator that they trust they can be honest with me. They trust that they can ask me to change my behavior and there won't be negative repercussions. It's not always been that way. It took us a long time to get there. Another point about this is that by you doing the research and getting all the information, you convey, you risk conveying the message that you think they can't or that they won't. And I think that may be an error. We're talking about adults and people who are invested in their own success. And if they're not, then they either don't want to know the information or it's not important to them. It's more important for you to encourage them. I'm so excited you got into those three colleges. I'll be interested to know what you base your final decision on. I'll be here if you want to talk about it. Very powerful. Makes a great difference. Let's see. Let's talk about how we give feedback. Now, feedback for me is a trigger word. I think feedback, again, is a Trojan horse. Really, it's a disguise for when somebody wants to give me their opinion or input, whether I want it or not. And that is not how I appreciate being communicated with, right? It's not my preferred method of interacting with someone. And I think it's not the preferred method for many people. We get feedback from everybody. It's such a loose term. So is your communication when you're trying to respond to somebody, so you've actively listened, you've processed what you've just heard, and you want to respond, do you respond with constructive feedback, which really is criticism or opinion in disguise, or do you respond with affirmation, positive reinforcement, and an invitation to talk further if they want to do that? So it might look something like, oh my gosh, that's so impressive. I'm so happy for you. I'll be interested to know how interested to know how this goes for you. And if you want to talk about it more, I'd love to go grab a cup of coffee with you. Now you might be dying inside. You might think, what in the world are you thinking about? Why would you even consider this? But they're not asking for that. 
and it is not your place to share it anymore. Maybe when they were in high school, maybe early college, but not when they hit full adulthood, which by definition is about 21. Maybe, uh, depending on your child and their maturation, maybe it's, you know, 24, 25. But after that, you don't give advice or opinion unless they ask. This is different from when we were raised. I used to go to my dad for, for his input on most anything. And he was always so generous and supportive. And naturally, you know, he said, I believe in you. You can do this. You've got this. And once in a while, he would say, make sure before, before you buy that car, go get it checked out by a mechanic. Or before you move across the country, make sure that the job is really what you want. You know, some sage advice. And that was very appreciated and told me he was very interested and cared. So I see it by our clock that we're running out of time. There are many more on my list of behaviors that can pretty easily be changed and can have a very positive and significant impact on your relationship with your adult child. In many ways, these are things we probably should have known to do as they grew up. Parenting has changed. Society has changed. The role of the parent has changed. And the frequency of estrangement increases every day. So it's very important to look at these kinds of changes, assess your own behavior, and start making changes before they say, I'm leaving because you do these things. I can't talk to you anymore because you do these things. Own it and take responsibility for your own change. I'm so happy you made it to the end of this episode today. If you're feeling a bit more hopeful and like what you've heard here, please share this podcast with someone who you know is also struggling as a parent in their relationship with their adult child or other family member, and who could use some hope, help, and healing. If you have a second, I'd love it if you'd leave me a thumbs up, click on the word follow, and head on over to the When Our Adult Children Walk Away website. So until next time, my friends, be brave, be kind to yourselves, and stay hopeful. 